Welcome to the Profit Powerhouse Podcast, the ultimate resource for business success and growth. I'm your host, Glenn Poulos, and I'm thrilled to be joining you on this exciting journey. Currently, I hold the position of VP and GM of NWS Canada. Additionally, I take pride in being the author of the critically acclaimed book, Never Sit in the Lobby. Throughout this podcast, my mission is crystal clear, to equip you with the strategies and insights you need to not only establish a strong presence in front of your clients, but also to take meaningful action and maintain that position. After all, being a pleasure to do business with is the key to fostering lasting connections in the corporate world. Together, we'll explore the art of not just building a successful and profitable company, but also cultivating a high-performing team that's capable of achieving remarkable results. Whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business professional, or anyone looking to excel in the world of commerce, this podcast is tailored to help you thrive. If you're eager to be part of the conversation, I encourage you to visit my website, navigate to the podcast section where you can sign up and stay updated and participate in the show. Our episodes typically run for a duration of 30 to 40 minutes, ensuring you get a compact yet insightful dose of valuable information. So get ready to unleash your profit powerhouse potential. Join me on this podcast as we delve into the strategies, stories, and secrets that will drive your success. Remember, your journey to becoming an influential person and prosperous business leader starts right now. Welcome, everybody, to the Profit Powerhouse Podcast. My name is Glenn Poulos, and I'm excited today to introduce everyone to Paige Arnoff-Fenn. Uh, Paige is the founder and CEO of Mavens and Moguls, a global branding and digital marketing firm whose clients range from early startup to Fortune 500 companies including Colgate, Virgin, Microsoft, and the New York Times. Uh, she was formerly VP of Marketing at Zipcar and VP of Marketing at Inc. Wow, and that's exciting. And uh, prior to that, she held the title of Senior VP of Marketing at Launch Media and Internet Startup. Uh, um, so Paige has also worked as Special Assistant to the Chief Marketing Officer at Coca-Cola and held the position of Director of the 1996 Olympi Olympic Commemorative Coin Program at the Department of Treasury. Wow. Uh, welcome, Paige, um, and uh, glad to have you on the show. Thanks, Glenn, for having me. I'm so excited to chat today. Great. Yeah, you've got an exciting background there, and um, it seems like you've got a lot to share with us on marketing and uh, and I assume digital marketing as, as it pertains to today. So maybe as a starting point, could you give us a little brief overview of your career from Procter & Gamble to Coca-Cola to the IPOs? And, and now I guess your, your startup Mavens, Mavens and Moguls, which is your firm that you've founded. Absolutely. I, I Great. Uh, so, right. I, I uh, was on Wall Street out of college and did a complete pivot. I went back and got an MBA and decided to restart my career in marketing and I started at Procter & Gamble, which I think is the, the mecca of marketing. I mean, they invented the concept of brand management. They compete in all kinds of categories. And every category they're, they're in, they're a leader. It's Crest toothpaste, Tide detergent, Pampers diapers, Oil of Olay, Pantene. I mean, Charmin toilet tissue. Everything they do, they do first rate. And so I, I went through their boot camp to learn everything I could about consumer marketing and spent about three plus years there. And it's just amazing experience 
and you're really learning from the master. Like I said, they they know everything there is to know about consumer products marketing. Yeah. Um, I left PG to run that joint venture for the Olympics for the 96 games in Atlanta. The it was really fun. I'm a big sports nut and I watched as a kid. I watched every Olympics, you know, that I could watch on TV. And it was just like a dream job, probably my favorite job before starting my company. And then I went after the Olympics ended, I went to go work for Coca-Cola. And Coke Coke is probably the most recognized brand in the world. It's sold in more than 200 countries. Um, My boss was the chief marketing officer. He, he was kind of a legend in the world of marketing. He did both New Coke and Diet Coke. New Coke was probably the biggest failure known yeah, right. consumer marketing. And Diet Coke was the biggest success. So right. again, I really learned from a, a marketing master. And then I, that led me to a, the late 1997 timing when the internet was really starting to take off. And I just was mesmerized. I got hooked reading about all these startups. And I felt like I was kind of sitting on the sidelines working in these big corporate behemoths. And I left my big, cushy corporate job and joined my first startup. And I I just had a ball. Um, it was in the music and entertainment space, about five blocks from the ocean in Los Angeles. Wow, that's awesome. I, I quit my job at Coke in Atlanta on a Friday and I started at the startup Monday morning in LA nice. and um, it was a wild ride, like internet 1.0. Um, we raised about $40 million. Most of it was being put into marketing and within, I don't know, less than two years, we went public and we were sold to Yahoo. Was that so it was media? a really Launch media, yep. It became Yahoo Music. And then my husband got got a job in Boston. So we moved cross country and I did another startup as the head of marketing. And about a year and a half later, they got bought by a big private company. It was a media company that Inc.com, which made Inc. Magazine. And... um, we got bought by Bertelsmann, which is the largest privately held media company in the world. Uh, everyone thinks when you go public, you make a ton of money. Some people do. Right. But when you're an insider and you're listed in the prospectus, you're not allowed to sell your stock for six months. So I didn't make a killing. Yeah. I had a lot of stock. But, um, yeah. You know, by the time I could sell, it wasn't worth as much. But when the private company bought my second startup, they just write you a check and give it to you at the day of the closing and you can go deposit it in the bank. That was a much more lucrative deal. So, you know, for all those people out there, I think going public is the best. It's not necessarily. Um, And then I did a third startup as the head of marketing, Zipcar, which no one had ever heard of before. And now it's a global brand, but it also went public and it was sold to Avis, uh, which is a public company. And so that was another kind of positive exit. But 9-11 happened. And um, at 9-11, you're old enough to remember, the economy economy just went bonkers. 
the stock market crashed. It was a very stressful time for a lot of startups. They were worried they weren't going to be able to raise any additional money. So everybody laid off their marketing department pretty much universally right after 9-11. So I had just gotten uh, bought out of the third startup. So I didn't have to work, but I was young. I was only in my 30s and I wasn't ready to retire. But I knew some really uh, awesome people who were investors, board members, venture capitalists who had invested in those three startups. And when 9-11 happened, People kept coming out of the woodwork asking me if I could help them because they just laid off their marketing department. And my initial instinct was, I'm not really a consultant. I never worked at an agency. I'm the client. Like, I'm the chief marketing officer. And they said, well, you know the job. You've done this job. Can't you just roll up your sleeves and help us? So I kind of panicked. Because so many people were calling and email emailing me. And I just reached out to um, a bunch of people that I worked with earlier in my career. Everybody had been laid off because of 9-11. I had people, I had projects, and I put them together. So I called the women, the marketing mavens, the guys, the marketing moguls. Oh, okay, there's how it came about. And that's how I, I started calling them mavens and moguls. We tested the name over email and people loved the name and we just hung out a shingle and started helping companies get through this crazy post 9-11 period. And that was 22 years ago and I'm still doing it. So, and with the Mavens and Moguls, I mean, I was reading about, you know, you have a diverse sort of international presence. And I was wondering, you know, what are some of the challenges of cross-cultural marketing that your project, that your guys have taken on as projects? And how do you sort of navigate those things nowadays, especially nowadays, I would imagine? So, you know, because I worked for P&G and Coke and the Olympics, I started my career in these global businesses and my network was very international. So when I was building my team and I was calling the people that I liked working with, they just happened to be based all over the world. Right. And so I, it wasn't intentional, but it was kind of a natural extension of my network and my experience. Um, You know, we have people in 14 cities around the U S and a lot of major metro areas around the world. And we've done work in Asia, in Europe, in Latin America, in the Middle East. I mean, we've done work everywhere. Um, You know, culturally, because a lot of the people in my network are foreign nationals, they're very savvy too. They speak a lot of different languages. Some of them grew up in those parts of the world or actually, you know, I have people in Bangkok, in Europe, so um, they they know what the norms are. They they have the relationships and the right. network. So you know we're just constantly learning from each other. And the the way I've structured it, um, if we have a client um, in a particular place, I like to have a team leader that's located in that same place if at all possible. Right. Um, 
even though we're a virtual business, it's really nice to have a physical presence so that somebody can get in their car or get on public transportation and go meet with the client face-to-face, even if the team is all over the world. Like when yeah. we did work in in Bangkok, we had a team leader in Bangkok, but there were people in Seattle, New York, and Boston working on that project. So they could stay in contact that, you know, the the client relationship person would have a meeting in the morning in Bangkok and then send an email to the team. And when the East Coasters woke up, they would kind of pass the baton to the people on the West Coast when they went to lunch. And then when the West Coast left, they'd pass the baton back to Asia. And the client was always all very impressed how much work we could get done in a day. But we were working on a 24-hour clock. Right. I guess it's that truly that whole think global, act local sort of concept, right? And you were, you know, people in the the local markets, but also a global team working on it, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. And also, I mean, I noticed you're uh, a lot of you sat on some boards and board of directors and stuff like that. How that sort of shaped your career and, you know, what, what, how has that benefited your, uh, your growth personally and professionally, et cetera? So um, I really enjoy uh, the board work that I've done. I started with a nonprofit board. It's kind of like training wheels a little bit. Okay. With nonprofits, um, you know, it's an organization that I was very passionate about, kind of a women's leadership and women's business group. Um, Typically with nonprofit boards, um, they ask you, to you know donate so they need your right. talent but they also need your treasure um so you know if you get if you're on a public company board they pay you if you're on a nonprofit board you donate to their cause right but it's great experience very mission driven and you meet fantastic people who are like minded they are passionate about the same causes that you are And, you know, people come with different experience. They come with different talents. So you meet people who are, you know, better with finance. I was maybe the marketing voice on the board, but there were salespeople and designers and all kinds of people. And they get to see what you do and how you work. And you meet, you know, the people that join boards are typically very experienced and senior. And in, in this case, you you um, get to see each other working about something you're passionate about. And even though you're not being paid to be on the board, they now know you're really good at what you do. They've seen it firsthand and they can end up referring and recommending people hire you. So, you know, I didn't do it to get referrals but I ended up making a lot of great professional contacts and people who said, wow, I know this woman, we're on a board together. I've seen her do some fantastic marketing. And then they say, can I make an introduction? I know someone who could use your help. So it's a, it's kind of like the more you give, the more you get. I find it really interesting when you do stuff like that. I've also worked with private companies as a board member and they pay you not as much as a public company 
but small businesses need advice too. And sometimes you, you know, you get, uh, compensated for that. Um, they can give you equity. They can give you, um, options. They can give you cash, but, um, again, you're, you're in a position, an advisory role. So they're leveraging your expertise, your ideas, but they're doing the execution. You don't necessarily have to roll up your sleeves and do the work, but they're looking for advice from the best people they can get advice from. And then public company boards can be a whole nother chapter of your career. As you get more seasoned, you know, public companies need boards of directors and boards of advisors. Um, I have been offered a public company board seat right before I was supposed to join. They got acquired. So I never ended up uh, going to any meetings, but that might be something for the next chapter of my career. Right. And um, I mean, although it happened a while back, I mean, you made sort of a jump from a a very large uh, corporate world into an entrepreneurial what, what sort of advice might you have for people that are kind of sitting in the corporate cubicle right now, uh, you know, pondering those sorts of things? And you probably thought about that a lot and been asked about that a lot. What would, how would you reflect on making that jump from corporate to entrepreneur, uh, you know, 10,000 person company to one man show for at least in the beginning? Right. Yeah. So for me, I took baby steps. You know, I look at my career in three chapters, corporate, startup and entrepreneur. So for me, um, I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. That wasn't really a word when I was a kid. My dad was a um, company president and CEO. Both my grandfathers ran ran businesses. So I always knew I wanted to go into business and I wanted to follow in their footsteps. I wanted to run a company. So when I joined P&G right out of school, you know, that was the path I thought I wanted to be on, big Fortune 500 company. But like I said, when I saw the internet taking off, I, I got, it was like a shiny object and I got distracted. And the more I read about it, the more interested I was. So I kind of took the leap and left the corporate world for the startup world. And I just had a ball. And I don't think I fully appreciated how much I learned in a corporate environment until you go to a startup that doesn't really have all the infrastructure, hierarchy. You know, big companies, at least back in the 80s and 90s, you know, they did a lot of corporate training and development. They, They sent you to class so you could learn, you know, P&G had something like, they called it P&G College, and Coca-Cola had Coca-Cola University, and they'd bring in experts, and you literally would take classes to learn the craft of marketing. I always tell people, I got an MBA, but my PhD in marketing was at P&G, and my postdoc was at Coke. I mean, it really was like continuing education for me. And startups, startups don't do that. They don't have the time, the bandwidth, or the budget to invest in you as a professional, they need you to hit the ground running. Yeah. So I was very appreciative when I joined that first startup because a lot of the people that worked for me did not have the benefit of like a corporate training 
uh, in their job history. So I was doing a lot of the uh, training in real time. And it really made me appreciate all the things that the big companies do to invest in their people. Um, when I you know, left the third startup and hung out a shingle, it didn't feel that risky to me. Because like I said, 9-11 had just happened. There were no marketing jobs right. to go to. Yeah. And all these people that needed help, I knew that I, I could assemble teams to help them. I don't think I appreciated or realized that I was starting like the biggest chapter of my career. All those jobs I told you about, my longest one was three and a half years. I've now worked for myself for 22 years. Like wow. I, never, I, I never would have thought that. I just, yeah. I didn't expect to start a company. I never wrote a business plan, but here I am. Nice. And, um, you know, what can you sort of share on the evolution into the digital media versus, because I mean, I'm sure most of what you're doing was printed and uh, back in the early 2000s and, and then maybe a touch a little bit on maybe how AI started to touch your organization as well. Um, you know, yes. from the one to the other extreme. Basically. So when I started at P&G, when you had a budget for a brand, you spent it on television, radio, print advertising, and outdoor billboards. Those were the only things you could spend money on in events. Um, and, and, you know, the events were kind of under PR and you would do press releases. That was really your option with the internet and the new economy and digital marketing. I mean, there's streaming, there are podcasts, there are webinars, you know, I mean, and social media has changed everything. You don't have, you know, people don't depend on a press release to, to announce anything. You'll see announcements on Facebook, on LinkedIn, right. Twitter, X, whatever people are calling it now. I mean, everybody has a platform. Everybody has a megaphone. Everybody has a website. So, you know, it's just a very different market today. And it's very fragmented. Um, you know, we thought it was a big deal when cable TV started. That's like one small piece of, I mean, right. you know, <laughs> the, the market now, it's, you know, it's, there's, a lot of people have online media options. And I think what's interesting is, you know, in the old days, people thought you wanted to be in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, or you wanted to be on Oprah Winfrey's TV show. Those were like the biggest opportunities. But now, you know, with bloggers and influencers, those people can have tens of millions of followers in a niche that's important to you and you may get covered online and that's way better than getting a story in the New York times. Like Absolutely. it's a very different world today. Yeah, um, I think the biggest difference from a marketing standpoint is like, you don't have to be LeBron James or Taylor Swift or Beyonce to be a brand. Like I was saying, everybody's a brand today. If you've got a YouTube channel, if you've got a LinkedIn profile, if you've got a website, 
you're a brand. I mean, Glenn, you've got a, a podcast, right? You know, you're, you're a brand and you might not think about it that way, but I'd argue you need to start thinking about it that way Definitely, yeah. because in this digital world, you don't exist if you don't have a presence online. And I don't think you need to be everywhere, but I think you need to pick which platforms and which places play to your strengths. And then you need to be really good in those places. Like for me, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Instagram, but LinkedIn for me is really important. Right. So I have a, you know, I have a profile that's fully filled out. I have a lot of content marketing and that's my platform of choice. But, you know, I'm a professional service firm and I think the thing that a lot of clients don't think about is for people that do have multiple places, they've got a blog, they've got a YouTube channel, they're on Facebook, they're on Pinterest. You need to think about the brand that you're showing and the brand that you're building because it should be consistent across all the different media because a brand is a promise of a consistent experience and you're building a relationship with your audience. And if you come off real buttoned up on your podcast and like a comedian or on one platform, really snarky on another one, right? you know, not serious, people aren't going to know which version of you is showing up for the meeting or the, or the phone call. And that's not a good position to be in today. Yeah, You want to make sure that you're planting lots of seeds, but they're consistent that you have a, you have a very clear message and that you're reinforcing it everywhere. Yeah. That's a really powerful lesson, actually. I'm going to write that one down. And yeah, the um, what uh, what's sort of the most exciting sort of thing going on at Mavens and Moguls now that kind of gets you fired up? What's uh, is there anything interesting or they'd like to share or just something cool about what's going on? Or I think everything's interesting. I mean, that's really <laughs> the course. beauty of, yeah. of running your own business. If it's not yeah. interesting, yeah, I don't have it. to do it. <laughs> and the buck stops here. Yeah. And so I love all the clients that we're working with. If it's not a business I'm excited about, if it's not uh, something that anyone on my team feels connected to or passionate, we just shake hands and part ways. Right. And, you know, it's funny because we've had people approach us wanting to hire us and nobody on the team was excited. And I'd go back and tell the company Thank you so much. But, you know, I just don't think we're the right firm. Yeah. And, and the CEO will say, well, I know I told you our buzz, budget was X, but we could actually double the budget. I'm like, <laughs> right. It's not and about for sale. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. we have if you can sell us, we can sell anybody. Right. But I can't fake enthusiasm. And if it's not something that we are really like naturally excited by and it's not genuine, we just don't do it. And so that's a really fortunate position to be in. But, you know, I'm a virtual business. I have four dozen people. We all work out of our homes. I don't have overhead. 
you know, I don't pay salaries. People get paid when they're doing work. Right. So we're a very flexible uh, model. And that gives us the luxury of only taking on work we're really excited to do. Yeah. And that's, you know, when I started it 22 years ago, no one really did that in marketing. They did it maybe in HR or accounting or finance. It was not a very, you know, people would hire an ad agency, but that's a different proposition. And now, you know, you outsource everything and you share your house, your boat, your car. I mean, now sharing a marketing resource doesn't seem so scary. Right. But I, yeah. when I started, people thought, I don't know if I want to outsource my marketing. Yeah. But now it's great. Good, good. Um, I guess so. And sort of in uh, as we sort of wrap up here, I mean, I don't know if you have, but do you have any sort of like golden uh, nugget that you like to share with people, you know, younger people or just people starting out or a golden rule that you like to follow or some sort of nugget or wisdom that you always like to pass on um, as, you know, kind of final thought kind of a thing? Well, I, I think... I hope I've convinced all your listeners that everybody's a brand today, yeah. not to spread yourself too thin, um, pick your battles yeah. and reinforce, you know, you can't stand for everything. Um, yeah. You know, when Amazon started, you probably remember this, a lot of people don't, they were the world's largest bookseller. Right. They were, all they did was sell books. Yeah. And, you know, they asked you to give them a credit card number and they were going to, you were going to buy a book and they were going to send it to you. A lot of people back then were a little scared about putting their credit card online and they had bookstores they went to and they weren't sure if that was like a good idea, but people did it and it worked and they built a relationship and they built trust. And then they went to music and you started buying CDs and then they just kept expanding. And now you can buy diamond jewelry, clothes, food. I mean, is there anything you wouldn't trust? I mean, Amazon <laughs> practically has, they've got your credit card. They practically have the keys to your house at this Pretty point. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> they yeah. probably have multiple credit cards, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, they put a stake in the ground and then they expanded from there. And I think that's the way businesses have to think of yeah. themselves. Right. You, you don't start asking people to trust you with everything. Yeah. You, you build the rapport. And I always tell people, whether you're, you're a consumer product, professional service firm, software company, B2B, B2C, Every business today is P2P. It's person to person. Right. Even if it's a company making a decision to buy your product or service, there's a person that's head of procurement or it's some person there that you're selling. So you have to be that person that they know, like, and trust to get the business. And so you're really trying to find ways to emotionally connect with your audience online and offline so that you can build that relationship 
so that when they have a problem that you can help them solve, they think of you first. And if you do that, you're going to win every day. And I think, you know, artificial intelligence gets a lot of press right now. And it's like the new shiny object. But I think people are always going to be um, better than robots at connecting. I think AI is really good to help you brainstorm ideas and get things started. But if your website or your uh, paper that you're, white paper you're publishing or, you know, an article that you're writing, if if you're relying on artificial intelligence to do that, it's going to come out very generic with not a lot of personality. So I would encourage, I always tell my clients, you can use AI as, as a kick in the pants, as a thought starter, but don't rely on it too heavily because what people are going to remember is your authentic stories yeah. and what what are the details that are going to emotionally connect with your audience the data the data doesn't do it by just throwing a lot of data and numbers and background you know that's fine but that's not what people remember they remember the stories they remember how you touch them emotionally and that's what gets them to come back and purchase from you. So don't get too enamored with all the shiny objects. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Paige. And I guess, uh, finally, where, where can listeners learn more about you and Mavens and Moguls? And um, yeah, what would you like to share in that regard? So there are two good places. My website, yep. mavensandmoguls.com. It's all spelled out. M-A-V-E-N-S-A-N-D-M-O-G-U-L-S.com. And then LinkedIn. And my name, my last name is hyphenated, but in LinkedIn, it's all smushed together. Okay. P A I G E A R N O F F E N N. And as one of my clients says, because she always forgets, my company name has an ampersand, my last name has a hyphen. She always goes to Google and types in Page and Mavens. <laughs> She can't remember the rest. Oh, and it I, finds it. I pop up right away. <laughs> that's so awesome. Thank, thank God for search engine optimization. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. You can find me that way. Okay, great. Um, yeah, well, thank you so much for um, for joining me today. Uh, it was a pleasure having you and um, look forward to seeing you again. Thanks, Glenn. It's been really fun. Thank you. tuning in to another insightful episode of the Profit Powerhouse Podcast. Your support and engagement means the world to us. If you're brimming with expertise and eager to join us, navigate to my website at glenpoolis.com forward slash podcast and go to the Be A Guest section to connect with us. Don't keep this information to yourself. Please share this podcast on your favorite social media platforms to empower your network with the strategies and wisdom you've gained. Your feedback fuels our growth. Please take a moment to rate and review the Profit Powerhouse podcast wherever you listen. Your input helps us to continually refine our content to serve you better. Remember, our mission is your success. We've committed to providing you with the tools and insights to drive your business forward, and we're excited to have you on this journey with us. To stay up to date on the latest episodes, hit the subscribe button, and let's stay connected. Reach out to me on social media and continue the conversation and stay inspired. 
for resources and information, visit my website at glenpoolis.com. And before we sign off, remember, I'm Glenn Poulos and reminding you that your potential as a business leader is limitless. Thank you for being a part of this podcast where your success story begins.